Good morning. This morning's reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 to 40, on page 1149 in the Church Bibles. Page 1149, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 25 to 40. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give it judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. A non-married woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman who is concerned about the affairs of this world, how can she please her husband? I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does, right, does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. 
In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too <coughs> have the spirit of God. Good morning, everyone. Uh, lovely to see you. Uh, please do keep 1 Corinthians chapter 7 open. Um, uh, if you've just joined us this week and you haven't been here over the last while, we are jumping into a series on 1 Corinthians. Um, but uh, in chapter 7, last week we were looking mostly at marriage, and this week we're looking at mostly about being single. Um, and really the question we're thinking about this morning um, is, is it better to be single? A surface reading of those verses we've just had uh, sounds like that is what it is saying. Um, so that is what we're going to be thinking about this morning. We're going to need God's help. Let me pray that God would help us. <clears throat> How awesome it is, almighty God, for us to be able to hear you speak direct to us and on all number of matters that pertain to life and godliness. And as we come to this passage this morning, we know that your word is a, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We pray that you would help us to see what is right, that we might live rightly, that we might think rightly that we might desire what is right and act in ways that please and honor you and in ways that are in line with how you have made us. So please speak to us by your spirit this morning, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Helen was at yet another wedding. She's 38 years old, and over the years, she's watched her two brothers get married, and now all of her cousins, here's the last one, get married, and some of them to have kids. And it's been really hard at times. As she's sitting there in the pew in the church, she sees her grandmother slide in beside her, and she thinks, oh, no. Because her grandmother's always asking the question, are you seeing anyone yet? Well, anyway, the... Marriage service goes ahead, and during the vows, the grandmother nudges Helen and says, Oh, Helen, it'll be your turn next. A couple of months later, Helen is in church again. Again, her grandmother is sitting beside her, but this time it's a funeral. And as the coffin is brought in, <laughs> you've got that already, haven't you? As the coffin is brought in, Helen thinks, I've got a chance to get my own back. And she nudges her grandmother and she says, Oh, Nan, it'll be your turn next. As we come to this area of singleness, I want to acknowledge that I really have no personal experience of this as an adult. So why would you want to listen this morning? Well, 
Firstly, because what we're going to look at is God's Word. This is what God says, not what Ed says. But also because I've done my best to read and talk to and listen to voices of those who have had lots of experience in this area. We'll hear some of these voices as I quote from them as we go through. I think I also want to acknowledge that despite the joke, this is no joke for some. Actually, for some, not all, but for some, this is the hardest thing they have to endure in life. Also, I think it's worth saying, as we said last week, all of us need to listen to this. This is not just for people who are unmarried. Uh, We need to understand other people's situations if we're going to support and encourage each other. Also, our situations will change. If we're married, half of us will end up unmarried again at one stage. We need a realistic view of situations, too. That'll help us in our contentment. And I think also we all need to listen because, as we saw last time, uh, as we hear this stuff, it helps us to relate to God. You see, it's not just marriage that is a wonderful picture of our relationship with our God. Actually, we're going to see the faithful single person is also a wonderful picture of our relationship with God. As I say singleness through this sermon, what I really mean is not married. So it could mean any number of experiences, situations, and ages. For example, it could be the teenager feeling the pressure to date. It could be someone in their late 20s and 30s just enjoying the freedom. It could be somebody in their 40s who have realized that all that they have feared seems to be coming true. And all that they had hoped for has not happened. It could be somebody in their 60s that's not chosen a single life, but actually as they look back, they can see how God has used them for good. Could be someone in their 80s who's been single for 25 years since they lost their spouse. And those 25 years, they have never felt so alone. Is it better to be single Maybe as you hear that question, you just think, it just sounds ridiculous. Because there's an overwhelming sense of, no, it is not a good thing. It can't be good, you might think, because you know the reality. You know the reality of being alone in in that empty house or, or alone in that busy family gathering. Alone as you face decisions on your own, as you face the future on your own. Maybe a a sense of just feeling unwanted. No one there saying, you're mine. No one to which you can say, I'm yours. Maybe we think it can't be a good thing because of the message we hear from the world, which says, if you want to be whole, well, then you need a partner in this life. Or you need a partner in bed to be fully human. Or you need to have children if you're going to be really grown up or a proper woman, or a proper man. Sadly, actually, those kind of messages we can hear in the church from Christians, from us who should know better. Maybe it's that pressure from Christian parents, or that uh, just sort of pitying look from someone, or the efforts to pair you up, or the fact that church seems to cater for families and couples. Or that the preaching is always directed at married folk. Sometimes it can feel like the only thing that matters in life is our relationship status. 
Well, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, here, verse 25, he talks to people who are not married, people like him. What does he say? Have a look at verse 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Do you remember last week when it came to married folk that the big sort of command that was running through was sort of stay in the situation you're in. Here, the first thing Paul says to the unmarried is he has no command from the Lord. In in fact, he says, this is my judgment, just my judgment, just my advice. We get it again, verse 35. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. You're free. This isn't to restrict you. Or verse 40, in my judgment. Again, here is Paul's advice, his judgment, not a command. So what we have as we look through this section is really an area of freedom and wisdom. Which means if you are single, this isn't a command to stay single. What is Paul's wisdom then? What is his advice? Well, have a look at verse 26. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Now, there's debate about what the present crisis was in Corinth. Was it some local thing that they were facing? Is it uh, just to do with the fact that we're living between Jesus' first and second coming? In some respects, I think as we go through the passage, we'll see it doesn't make a huge difference in terms of how we understand stuff. But do you notice what Paul does say? He says it's good to remain unmarried. And we think, really? Here's the first thing we're going to see. Singleness is a gift. Now, you might hear that and you think, only a married person is going to say that. Because it feels much more like a curse. Much more like I must have done something to deserve this from God. Why is God so mean to me? Well, listen to what Paul, a single person, says. Back to verse 7 from last week. I wish all men were as I am, in other words, single... But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows. I say it's good for them to stay unmarried as I am. Singleness, Paul seems to say, is not bad. It's not a curse. In fact, it is good. In fact, it's a gift from God. Now, some here, as they come to these verses, look at that word gift, and they say what it means is like a a special capacity to sort of be celibate in this life that very few people have. And if you're taking that view, probably verse 9 would back you up in, in that. But... I think as you look through this whole section, if you look through verses 25 to 40 when he's speaking to the not married, he recommends singleness to all of them, not just a select few. It's not some special gift, but actually it's good, he re- it's good in the sense that he is advising this for all of them. And so I take probably the more likely majority view that each one has his own gift means some have the gift of marriage. And some have the gift of singleness. If you're single, 
It's not a position to be despised, hated, laughed at, or feared. If you're married, single people should be honored, not looked down upon, not pitied. Listen to one of my single friends on this. This is what she says. When I was growing up and there were talks about relationships, I don't ever really remember singleness being an option. It was always when you get married, not if you get married. People need to be aware singleness and marriage are both valid options. One is not lesser or a consolation prize. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, how do I know if I have the gift of singleness? I don't want it. I don't feel like I have it. Well, how do I know that I have the gift of marriage? How do I know I have the gift of marriage? I am married. If we're single, for the time being at least, this is the gift that God has given you for now. doesn't mean it's always going to be the same. It's never going to change. Have a look at verse 28. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin married, marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Paul saying, if you marry, it's good. If you stay single, it is good. Marriage is a gift. Singleness is a gift. Why then does he recommend singleness? Well, he says, because marriage means many troubles in this life. What does he mean by that? Well, he tells us, verse 29. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they have had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Those who have wives should live as if they have none. It's not saying, oh, you should neglect your spouse. No, we saw last week, he's just commanded them to devote themselves, to give themselves to one another in marriage, not to divorce. It doesn't mean it's wrong to be married or to mourn or to be happy or to buy stuff. What it's saying is that this time is short. This world is passing away. Jesus is coming back. And so the things of this world are not ultimate, including marriage. Human marriage is not ultimate. It's passing away, which means we're not incomplete without it. It's not necessary for satisfaction, for fulfillment, for life to the full. And it means we shouldn't expect it to complete us or satisfy us fully if we're in it. It also means that sex or having children isn't necessary to be fully human or complete. Just look at the Lord Jesus. If you are single, Jesus understands you. He knows what it's like to see his friends get married around him. He knows what it's like to live in a world where the world just sees him as odd. 
He knows what it's like to feel that sense of being alone. And yet, he is the most fully human person who ever walked this earth. Most complete, most satisfied, most content. And yet he never married, never had sex, never had children. And yet, if singleness is a gift, maybe you're thinking, why do I find it so hard? Well, the Bible says we are made for relationship. And so it's natural to want marriage. Before the fall in Genesis 2, do you remember? God said it's not good for man to be alone. And primarily that was about needing a partner to serve together in the work that God had called Adam to. And so he gave Adam Eve. And yet here what we see is that God has given us a natural desire for deep relationship. It's natural to want marriage. It's not wrong to desire it, to seek it, to pray for it. And yet, don't be surprised if it's really hard not having it, grieving it. When another wedding invite pops through the, the letterbox onto the mat, or when you see yet another scan put up on social media of that baby arriving, and the tears flow, that's understandable. It's natural. But it is not the case that human marriage is necessary. It's natural, but not necessary because it is not ultimate. Do you remember last week we thought about the fact that the picture of marriage actually is a picture that points to a greater, deeper reality, our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the relationship that we are really made for, Human marriage was only ever meant to be temporary. It's not the deep reality. We're made not for marriage, but for Jesus. And so when we feel that deep yearning for relationship, whether we're in one or not, it should lift our eyes. Let it lead us to Jesus. Listen to another of my friends. This is what she says. Please never say Jesus is our boyfriend. That belittles all he is. But I have to give myself the regular reminder that a lot of what I think I want in a romantic relationship is found ultimately in my relationship with Christ. I want someone to love me, to talk to, to hear me, someone to rely on when life gets hard. Christ is all of these things, completely, perfectly, and more. If you are any kind of Christian, this is what we all need. All of us need to realize that our deepest longings, our deepest desires, point to a deeper reality, to a deeper relationship, that all of them are only ever going to be fulfilled in Jesus. And so, whoever we are, whatever our situation, we are loved. We are wanted. You see, the one who is the Almighty Son of God came to earth to show us that He loves us with a love beyond all other. He's the one who died for me. He took God's judgment for me. 
who gave eternal life to me, who walks with me through life, and who one day will help me to experience satisfaction in all its fullness. Because one day, if we are trusting in Christ, we will be his bride. The Bible says that one day all Christians will be married, not to each other, but to Jesus. We, the people of God, will be his bride. In the meantime, well, earthly marriage is a gift. Singleness, earthly singleness is a gift. One is not better than the other. Another, a friend of mine um, said to me earlier this week, who, who is in her 60s, single, she said, marriage and singleness? They have their privileges and their difficulties. One is not better than the other. Singleness is a gift. How? Really? In what way? Let me show you what Paul says. Here's the first thing. It can mean service. Do you know the thing about all of the gifts that God gives us? All the gifts that God gives us as his people are to be used not just for ourselves, but to serve others. Another friend, he he said this. At times over the last 10 years or so, I've watched more and more of my friends get married. I find it really hard being single. And the thing that has... (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) That was more helpful than anything else and helped me to begin to be content in my singleness and to stop resenting it, was to get my head around this wonderful truth, that singleness is a gift. It's a good gift. It's the gift God wants me to have at the moment. Now, when I got that, it revolutionized the way I viewed my singleness and transformed my attitude to it, realizing that this was God's gift for me now, meant that I didn't need to spend my whole time wishing I could get married. Instead, I could learn to see singleness as a good thing, to recognize that just like marriage, it has loads of good things about it, and to thank God for them, and to use that gift, along with every other gift God has given me, to serve him. It helped me to learn to be content. We do not need to look far in our church family to see what amazing servants single folk are. I'm so grateful to you, brothers and sisters, who use this gift of yours to serve others. I can think of the woman who who calls and visits different older isolated members every week. A man, he, he uses some of his money to take people for meals, to encourage them in their relationship with Jesus. A, a woman who, who is using her spare time to study how to help the most marginalized in society. Another who's willing to drop everything to help someone in need. If we're married, we do need to be very careful not to expect single people to do everything. We are to serve too. There's masses single people have to, have to cope with, with no help from anyone else. No one helps them to put their bins out or manage their money or fix their car. They've got to do it all on their own. Whatever our gift is, it's given for us to serve. 
Singleness can mean service. Secondly, singleness can mean simpler. Not easier, but simpler. Have a look again at verse 28, halfway through. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Big shock. You ready for this? Marriage is not all bliss. It's not all happily ever after. And I'm happily married. Sometimes it's because of our sin. You put two sinful people together and it's not all roses and romance. Actually, sometimes it is troubles. Might be just a low-level annoyance for what they do, how they do that. Or it's frustration at the other's laziness. Or or it's harsh words or cold shoulders. Sometimes marriage is hard because of this broken world that we live in. One man, he uh, devoted to his wife, married to her, had some children, and then she got really unwell. To the extent that she was disabled in a wheelchair for the rest of her life, needed loads of care. He had to give up his permanent job to care for her. And yet he needed to make a bit more money to make ends meet and so would do door-to-door sales just to get enough to get by and to care for his wife. Another couple I can think of long to have children and miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. Marriage is not all roses. If you're married here this morning, how honest are we with others? You see, with other married folk. Because if we're not, they'll think they're the only ones who are finding it hard. Or with folk who aren't married. Because they'll always think marriage is amazing if they never hear about the troubles. This is written by a, a single pastor. He He says this, as a pastor, I get to spend lots of time with a range of families, both inside and outside the church. At times, it makes me broody. Joining in with a family game, helping kids with homework, having the newborn baby fast asleep on my shoulder, I find myself pining for a family of my own. But at other times, the exact opposite is true. I walk unsuspectingly through the front door only to discover World War III has broken out in the household. There's yelling, mess, and hot tears being shed. I feel tense and awkward just being there. I try to calculate how short a time I can stay before it looks rude to leave. Twelve minutes is about right, especially if you're able to tell them you're going on to make another pastoral visit. It's not easier, but if you are single, it is simpler. Yes, you've no one there to help you choose how to use your money, time, or energy, but you also don't have anyone that you need to defer to, to use your money, time, and energy. If you want to leave the washing up for days, you can. If you want to stay in bed all of your day off, you can. Paul says, I want to spare you many troubles in this life. Thirdly, singleness can mean single-minded. Paul says, verse 32, I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, 
how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. If you're married, he's not saying it's ungodly to be concerned about your spouse. No, he's saying you're to love God by attending rightly to the affairs of this world. Love your wife or your husband. But it's messy. Interests are divided. Devotion, in a sense, is divided. You're trying to think about God, and you're also thinking about him and her, him or her, or them if you have children. You think, I know I should pray more, but the kids need dressing. Or I want to give to that cause, but actually the family finances are really tight. I want to take that friend to that event, but my wife is ill. But singleness, well, verse 35, I'm saying this, that you may, at the end of the verse, you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. Single is better in the sense that it allows for undivided devotion. I remember being really jealous of a friend of mine. We were just chatting about trying to spend devotional time with God each day. And he said, yeah, I I allocate about an hour to read my Bible and pray and sing. And yet, no doubt, he was jealous of me as he looked at the situation I was in. More than allowing undivided devotion, actually singleness shows it. You see, singleness is a wonderful picture of faithful, mature, devoted love for God. As you, if you are single, say no to things that you'd love to say yes to, and yes to things you never wanted to say yes to, Why do you do it? Well, because you love Jesus. Because although he hasn't given you marriage, or not yet, you're not making that the thing that proves he loves you. You see that he is enough. You see that he is a better lover, more faithful, more patient, more kind, more forgiving. And so you are devoted to him. And as you do that, you show the rest of us that Jesus is enough. It's a model for all of us, a wonderful picture for all of us. Listen to another voice, another friend. She says, Christian singleness is a testimony to the supreme sufficiency of Christ for all things, testifying that through Christ, life is fully blessed even without marriage and children. It points to a greater a reality greater than the satisfactions of this present age, to the Christian's eternal inheritance in the kingdom of God. Incidentally, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus today, and you're wondering why on earth would people live these ways, well, it's because we have experienced the love of Almighty God in Christ. And actually that, for you, is your greatest need. And the greatest relationship you could ever have. 
And what I'd encourage you to do is find out more about Jesus. But what if you're here this morning and you do want to get married? Is it really better to be single? Paul, as a single-minded, single man, using that to serve, feeling he's less troubled, thinks that he has the better gift. And so he says so, verse 38. So then, he who marries a virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. In his judgment, this is his advice, his opinion. But he says, you're free. Free to marry. In verse 28, he who marries does what is right. But if you're Christian, they should love Jesus too. Do you remember that from last week? Verse 39, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord, but also free not to. Verse 40, in my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. What matters most is how we can best serve Jesus. For some of us, that'll mean getting married and living out that picture of marriage. For others, it'll mean being unmarried or even once married. It'll mean living out that picture of undivided devotion. And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, you know, I'm wondering about dating or investigating whether I should get married. The question you should be asking is, will this relationship Serve Jesus. You see, both are gifts. Both should be used to serve Jesus. Time has absolutely run out. I'm going to give you three things, finally, very quickly, for us to chew on and think about um, as we go on from this. Uh, the first, all of us should do these, be honest. Don't assume that we know what everybody else wants or feels in their situation. We need to share the joys and the struggles of what we're going through. It'll mean that we're more realistic, more content, and more able to support one another. Secondly, be friends. I think one of the repeated refrains I've heard as I've chatted to those who aren't married is they say, when people get married, they only hang out with married people and families. Now, do you know, that is just so sad. So sad for the unmarried, but actually sad for the married. I think some of our greatest blessings, some of our greatest friends comes from the single folk that we enjoy. We should be involved in each other's lives. Married folk, open your doors. Don't be selfish and expect single people to always serve you. Single folk, offer to help. Don't be selfish and always expect families to initiate. Be friends. And thirdly, be devoted. Be devoted to Jesus, whatever our situation. You see, we should long not primarily for marriage, for earthly marriage, or for a better marriage, if we're in one, but for Jesus. Because he is longing for the day when he will be married to his people. Well, let's take a moment to pause 
Just respond to God quietly in your own thoughts, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer. Our Father God, we come before you this morning. We want to acknowledge where good desires, natural desires have become too important and have pushed out our desire to love you above all things. We pray as we consider these challenging areas that you would help us again to see your love for us in the Lord Jesus. See that he is the one whose love is higher and deeper and wider and longer than any other love that we could experience. And whatever our situation, would you increase our devotion, our dependence, our delight in him, we pray. In his name, amen. I'm going to